0: If this doesn't go well, we thank hold our God, so we've had church, right? I mean, we're feeling good, so no, nah, it'll go well, hopefully, hopefully. We'll see. I don't know. First Samuel 27, um, I am a student's pastor. Obvi- most of you obviously know that. There's a couple big things going on in youth that I want to plug before we get into it. Um, first coming up is our student, our high school fall retreat, um, November 11th through 13th. Very excited about this. If you haven't registered your high schooler yet, do it. Bring a friend. Very excited about that. And just a little over a month away now, and then October 26th, we're doing a big night on Wednesday night. I uh, just kind of really doing a big push night, giving away an Apple watch, stuff like that. Um, so bring your kid to that too. And if not, I've told you now, so I will I will call you and stalk you and make sure they're there. So october twenty sixth, November eleventh through 13th, first Samuel twenty seven. Um, we've been in this for a long time, and uh, I'm excited to be back in. I love the story of First Samuel. I love the story of David. Um, I know it's very cliche to say that David is my favorite favorite Bible character, but unfortunately he is. Um, just a guy that messes up a lot. Sounds like me. I like it. So we're in. Um, we're going to read, and then we're going to kind of recap, kind of catch up, and then we'll just get right into it. 1 Samuel 27, verse number 1. And it said, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and, shall de- and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Akash, into the the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Akash at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, ahanom Ahen- the Jezreelites and Abigail the Carmelites, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more, uh, no more again for him. And David said to Akash, if I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I might dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Akash gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore, Ziklag pertaineth unto the king of Judah unto this day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Um, thank you for just the opportunity to preach, Lord. Um, thank you for giving me just the, the, the time, the effort to study, Lord, help it to, help it to help someone tonight. Lord, I know it's already helped me in preparation um, as we deal with this issue um, that uh, affects many of us uh, many times and has affected me in my life, Lord. Um, help us to be confident in our faith with you, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. The story of David at this point, a lot has already happened, right? A lot that we know of David has happened, but David lived a long life. A lot is still to happen. If you if you go back the past few chapters, um, he's anointed king in 16, 17 he kills Goliath, and then that... Chapter 18 kind of begins the path of Saul versus David, right? It's really the first time once they get back from killing Goliath. You know the story, Saul, and they sing the songs of David, they sing the songs of Saul. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousand. And that switch is now flipped from Saul to David where he is now chasing after him. Saul has attempted to kill David twice um, up to this point. Um, David has been living in the wilderness for years now. David has had two opportunities to Strike back at Saul and has uh, resisted. Obviously, has not killed Saul, so Saul is still chasing after him. If you um, go back at verse number, tw- uh, chapter number twenty-six, David and Saul have actually communicated. Uh, there's supposedly some peace at the end of this, and. Samuel died in verse number 25, verse number 26. They kind of have another chance to kill him. He doesn't. Saul comes back and uh, he, he says, You know, I'm not going to chase you anymore. David doesn't believe that. And then we get to verse number 27, and uh, verse number, chapter number 27, excuse me, verse number 1. And this first verse is really the, the center of our message, the center of our story tonight. Um, it, it, it's a, we find David in a place that uh, I found myself, I feel like a lot of us find ourselves, and it's this place of doubt. It's this place of doubt. And when I say doubt, when I was, when I, I mean, I, unfortunately, I apologize. When I, when I sit to preaching, I like to find ways to, like, make myself be like, oh, this isn't for me. Does anybody else ever do that? Like, you hear a topic, and you're like, no, 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 I'm good on this one. You know, like, a, some, a certain sin, a certain issue, and you're like, okay, I made it. I'm going to make it through this one. I'm not talking about doubting your salvation specifically. So if you're like, oh, we're talking about doubt, I'm good on that. I'm not talking about that specifically. I'm just talking about the, the doubt and fear in our Christian lives. And David's in a point here where he's low, he's depressed, And he's doubting. He's doubting. Um, This is the David who has already killed the bears and the lions. This is the David who has killed Goliath. This is the David who has tracked down Philistines. This is the David who has been anointed king. This is the David who will one day do all the amazing things we know of David. But in here, in chapter 27, verse number 1 especially, and really for the next several chapters as he's living in Ziklag, we find a David who is doubting God, doubting God's plan Doubting God's promise, everything in his life, David is doubting. Just read chapter one, read verse number one. And David said in his heart, this is David speaking to David, not to anyone else. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and shall Saul despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. David's doubt, David's fear, David's whatever came on to him and his only response was to escape into the land of the Philistines. Now, I study this out, I talked to I talked to my dad, I talked to some I, I was kind of going through this over the week. The idea of going to the Philistines, going to Gath, when growing up I always thought like that was boom, wrong decision. It doesn't specifically say anywhere in the text that David should not have gone to gone to Gath, David should not have gone to the Philistines, but the Philistines are obviously the Enemy of Israel, they're the enemy of God's people, so probably not a great place to go. But either way, I'm not. I don't want to talk about his decision to go to Gath. I don't want to talk about his decision. He basically becomes a mercenary for the Philistines, and for the next several chapters, he basically works for them. They give him a piece of land. He goes out and does their killings for them. Basically, him and his 600 men, they go out. They they kill men, women, and children for the Philistines. Probably not great. But I'm not going to talk about that specifically. Instead, I want to talk about the mindset that David's in in this in this in this specifically this first verse. This mindset of doubt. We talk about doubt. To me, I was trying to think of a good definition of what it means, what I want to talk about. I want to talk about doubt in the sense of the place of doubt is a place of limbo between unbelief and having faith. It's a limbo. You're going back and forth. You're going back and forth. I played, um, I specifically, I, I, I... Pastor Jake leaned over and said, is there any um, Twilight or Star Wars references? And I said, no, no. We're trying to move past that, trying to re- rebrand myself. I did, I did have a Lord of the Rings reference that I nicked for that specific purpose. So um, I played football. I love football. I played football in high school. And um, I remember my freshman year, most people when you play football, any sport really, you kind of need to start when you're in 4th, 5th, 6th grade, 7th, especially middle school. You don't want to ever start playing a sport, especially a contact sport, in ninth grade. I'm just being honest with you. Um, I was small. I was a small ninth grader. I started playing football. My first time ever playing football was in ninth grade. Um, Joined the team. Went how you would expect it to go. Some of you are already laughing. Um, But our team... Our JV team was really good. We killed everybody. We did not have a point scored on us my entire freshman year. We beat everybody. We were, our, our point margin was 33-plus every single game. We killed everybody. So we had some really good players on that team. I was not one of those players. Okay? I was not one of those players. But I was on the team, and that's when team sports are good. Because even when you're not that good, you're still on the team. And we, we got to celebrate those wins. So I got um, our whole team Eight games into our JV season, our whole JV team got called up to varsity. There was about 23 of us on the JV team. It was a small Christian school. Um, we all got called up to varsity, and uh, we were killing. We had our local rival. Um, you guys don't know the name or I'd mention it. Our local rival, we were killing. They were just bad. Um, and I got to go in for my first varsity game, and I was stoked. Um, I was scared to death, very small, scared to death. Fourth quarter, we were already up by 40-plus. Um, you know, I mean, come on, I was only in for like three plays, but it was amazing, it was a beautiful moment in my life, think about it often, <laughs> I said all that to say this, I remember my first going. I was playing weak side linebacker, I was playing will linebacker, um, I was in the position, you know, I was ready, I was, I knew how I was guarding, um, I had a slot receiver on me, and um, it was, you know, fourth quarter, really just running the ball, trying to end the game, it was one of those where the clock started running in the middle of the second half, just trying to get the game over with, and I remember, um, it was an outside sweep, the running back got the ball, and he was headed my direction. And it was like slow motion. It was like slow motion. You guys think I'm about to like, get hit really hard. This is not, the, I, wish, I wish I'd gotten hit really hard. I sat there in the position, hike. I always forgot to put my mouth guard in. This is how inexperienced I was. Um, didn't have my mouth guard in. Sitting there, mouth guard dangling. I'm sitting there. Um, hike, the ball goes. The running back takes the ball, sweeps to the outside. And I did the you know, the lateral movement, like the side-to-side movement that all athletes know to, know to do. Got over there. He was running at me. I was in a position to make a play, okay? My, run, my coach had put, called a good, a good um, scheme. We had a good game plan, called a good play. into the game, doesn't really matter. I was in a position to make my first career varsity tackle. Now, I had made some tackles on JV. I wasn't that bad, but this was my first career varsity tackle freshman year. It was homecoming. We were up by 40. No one was watching, but it was time. <laughs> in a position to make a play. In a position... make a play, and I froze, froze. He ran by me, and then, you know that, you know, like, uh, like, you know that, it's like, I don't want to do a reference you you guys don't get, when you run by, and then you dive, it's like so late, it's like, it's so late, it looks like a video game glitch, that's what happened. So he runs by, and I dive, he's already three yards up the field, and I'm laying on the ground like, dang it, and I remember I was punching the ground, and we watched it in film, and I got made fun of the next day. So it was just a tough weekend. But I was t- punching the ground because I was so mad because I was finally in a position to do something. I was finally in a position to make a play. I was in this state of limbo where the play was to be made. And it was up to me whether I was going to do it or not to do it. To me, that, that, that's this doubt. It's, it, doubt is where you have enough faith To be in a position to make a play. You have enough faith to be somewhere, but enough unbelief to keep you from getting there. To keep you from getting there. I I feel like a lot of Christians, a lot of church members, a lot of church attenders, we have enough faith to be just that. To be church attenders. But do we have enough faith to be followers of Jesus? Do we have enough, are we, are we strong enough in our faith to resist the unbelief when it comes and then to pursue Jesus? I promise if you're here on a Sunday night, on a beautiful fall evening, you have some level of faith in Jesus Christ. I promise you that. Someone in your family does if you're a drug here, right? You have enough faith. Do we have enough faith to do something with it? David, obviously, as we know, he had done great things and he's gonna do even greater things. But in this moment, the doubt, the fear, I'm using the word doubt, whatever word you want to use, in this moment, overcame him. It overcame him. And I'm afraid many of us, m- many times myself, many times Christians, I don't, no, I'm speaking generally, many times our doubt, will. we have enough faith to sit in church our entire lives, but not, enough, but not enough to make something count. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about David's doubt. Three, three, three basic ways, three basic ways um, that these doubts that David has, and I want to learn from them in order to prevent unbelief in our lives. Um, you know, we, we hear of a popular phrase in Christianity, this deconstruction thing. Um, I, it, it, very popular, especially, I don't know, I feel like all the West Coast Christians deconstruct, Uh, not like West Coast Baptist College, just like on the West Coast. All my friends from California have like deconstructed, and uh, basically what it means is just to kind of peel away your faith and kind of get to what it really is, and a lot of times what happens is when they peel away their faith and try to rediscover their faith in Jesus, what happens is their faith becomes unbelief, and the issue with doubt, and the issue with dealing with doubt is a lot of times if doubt is not dealt with, it will become unbelief. And a lot of times that's what happens with, the, with teenagers especially. I'm a youth pastor. I'm, I'm teenage minded. They sit in church enough. They have enough faith from their parents. They have enough faith from sitting in church for 18 years. That when they turn 18, when they turn 19, when they get in a relationship, when they get married, when they have some other big influence in their life, they had enough faith to get them somewhere, but not enough faith to keep them somewhere. And David's in the same position. David's in the same position. I, I, I don't want to be long tonight. The first doubt that David has... Found in verse number one, David doubts the plan of God. David doubts the plan of God. All the way back in 1 Samuel 16, what happens? We just said it, that David is anointed to be the king of Israel, right? He's anointed to be the king. He's going to be the next king. God never says that he's going to strike down Saul and make him king immediately. I think it was kind of an understood thing that it was going to be a process. Once Saul dies, David would become king. But either way, the plan was in place years and years ago that David would become the next king of Israel. Israel. And for years, David was aware of this plan. David knew this plan. David knew what God was preparing him to do. These are the years of preparation. It's one of the other reasons why I love the story of David. He's got years and years of preparation time where God is preparing him to do this great and mighty thing, yet in this moment, everything that David has already been through has caused him enough doubt to completely doubt the plan of God. For whatever reason, this was David's breaking point where his doubt overcame him. First, this was a recurring doubt. Back in First Samuel 21, 10, this is not the this is only this, this is the second time that David has actually fled to the Philistines. In 2110, he flees to Akash, the king of uh, the Philistines. That's not necessarily a name. Akash is more of a title, um, so it may have been a different guy. He, he He's doubting so much in 1 Samuel 21 that, if you remember when we was preached uh, a while ago, he puts on, he, he kind of fakes himself as mentally ill, if you go back and read it, just because he's so embarrassed. He's had that doubt then. He's had this doubt now. And the truth of the matter is, doubt is something that is going to reoccur. It's going to happen. It's going to happen over and over again. It's going to happen all throughout the Bible. You look at people like Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Peter, Thomas, Paul, all throughout the Bible are men who have struggled with doubt multiple times, whether it was doubt in their salvation, whether it was doubt in Jesus, whether it was doubt in their calling, whatever it was, they doubted. And right now we are having this reoccurring issue of David where he is doubting the plan of God. If we do not deal with our doubt, it will keep occurring until it has won the victory. And the victory of doubt is unbelief. Maybe not unbelief enough to walk away from Christianity, but enough unbelief to, to do nothing with your faith. I, I really hope not, and I would gamble, that the majority of you in here will not walk away from Christianity. But I will say that many who attend church, not just Euphoia Baptist Church, but church, not just in the South, the Christianity, the evangelical movement, whatever you want to say, will have enough, whether they had a, this, fire for, this fire for God at one point, this faith for God at one point, where they were moving, they were moving forward, they were getting things done, and then eventually unbelief has taken them to a place of complacency complacency not walking away if you were to walk away from your faith oh you don't believe in god oh, in the south your parents my, my parents would disown me your parents would disown you right we would never walk away from our faith not a full of Baptist church but we will be complacent we will be complacent and that's what happened that's what's happened to david here He's had this reoccurring issue of doubt that has not caused him to abandon God. He has not abandoned his calling. He, has not re- he did not go to Samuel's He did not go to Israel and say, I'm done. I do not want to be the next king. He did not reject it. He did not run away. He simply went to a place of complacency. He left to, he left to Gath. He left to serve another master. It was a reoccurring, it was a reoccurring doubt of the plan of God. Next, it was a testing doubt of the plan of God. The plan that God has for David is clearly being tested, right? If it, it, to be honest, if you have a plan for God, then it's most likely, if it is of God, it's most likely going to be tested, right? We know this. The, the things God works in the way of testing his people. It's not a plan of God. It's not tested. We can have confidence. The reason why we can overcome doubt is because our plan is not of ourselves. It is of, it is of God. The reason you can have confidence in the plan of God is because of your calling from God. In every area of your life, you have been called to that area. You've been called to your ministries. You've been called to this church. You've been called to your family. You've been called to your children, to your parents, to your everywhere, to your job, you have been called to God. You've been placed there for a purpose and for a reason. So when you have doubt, when your doubt is co- is keeping you from sharing your faith, when your doubt is keeping you from taking the next step, when your doubt is keeping you from being faithful to your ministry, when your doubt is keeping you from whatever your step is, you have been called to God. And the reason you can have confidence is not because you have talent, not because you have ability, not because a pastor asks you to do this. No, no, no. You have confidence because God has put you and called you To that area. God has called David to this area. God has put David in this position. For whatever reason, Saul chasing after David was ordained by God. Now, does it make sense to David? Of course not. But it doesn't have to make sense to David. Do our plans make sense to us? Most of the time, no. I could give you, I have lived. Enough life and not very much that I could give you at least some, a few personal stories of my own just in the past few years where I was confused, lost, and c- concerned about the call of God. And that's just my young life. We've all had examples where we've been confused about God's calling. But the reason we can have confidence in it is not because some person told us to, but because God has told us to. Because God has told us to. It's a testing doubt. Thirdly, it's a surprising doubt. It's a surprising doubt. Um, when it comes to David, God has proven himself to David. I mean, this is a 16-year-old boy who killed a, who killed a Goliath, who killed a giant Goliath. This is a man who's killed a lion and a bear. Time and time again, God has come through for David. He's a, he's a warrior. He's a mercenary. He's a leader. Time and time again, God has come through for David, and yet David's still doubting. It's kind of surprising for us. Now, when we're in the moment, it's not surprising, right? When we're in the moment, it's, it's really easy. Let me give you this. This is a Thought of this this afternoon, so bear with me. This is a, this is an illustration I'm excited about. So, say I gave you ever guys ever see these blind resumes that they put up on sports? Where they go like this quarterback has three thousand yards, two touchdowns. I don't know. Okay, blind resume. Say there's family A. Family A is a good family. Um, they've been in church for a long time. they serve, they serve in several ministries. Um, they just they're they're trying. They're inviting their friends. They're being a witness. They're doing all the things that we would say a follower of Jesus Christ would do, right? Family A. Family B. Same exact thing, okay? Basic, we're good. Family A, everyone understand. Family A, family B. Family A has a tragedy come in their life, has a trial. Maybe uh, maybe someone gets sick, maybe they lose a loved one, maybe a job is lost. Some area of difficulty comes into their life, okay? That's family A. Family B, same exact thing, same exact thing. We're, we're through, we're good. Family A, family B, same thing. Family A continues to serve God, continues to, to, to be a witness Continues to be a light through the difficulty. Continues to do everything that God has called them to do, even when things were bad. Even when doubt, even when fear, they continue. Right? Family B disappears. Disappears. To me, family A is a lot more surprising. You guys see what I'm saying? As a church member, as someone who's been to church my entire life, when I see family A... When I see someone go through something and continue, that's surprising to me. When I see family B, stinks. Another one. I'm just being real. When I see Matt and Ashley, right, they're not here so I can be nice to them. When I see Matt and Ashley go through what she went through, and a lot of people have gone through much worse, and they continue and they sing about the goodness of God, and we're all (laughs) shocked. Why are we shocked at that? That should be the norm. We should be shocked at this. This should break our hearts. This should shock us. This should cause us to have a conversation. This should cause us to, hey, what's going on? This should cause us to pursue. That should be every day. Even when it was happening and, and I get, we want to we brag and we want to praise God. and want to. Why are we shocked by a lack of? of faith why are we not shocked by a lack of faith We're usually shocked by faith isn't that isn't that weird as followers of jesus christ the creator god the the creator of the universe the one who's given us life the one who's given us salvation the one who has given us everything and everything everything good from god when we see people who are truly following him in the midst of it all we are shocked it was a shocking doubt it was a shocking doubt secondly and we move and we move David doubts the preeminence of God in his life. 1 Samuel 27, 5 says, And then David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? David comes to the king, the leader of the Philistines, and he says, If I have found grace, in thine eyes, give me a place and all my men to stay. They say um, David and his men were very uncultured. This is just what the, the theologians say. They say he was very uncultured. They were kind of like um like second level to the people. The Philistines, Philistines people were more advanced than David and his men. So to, for them to be in the, the main city of the Philistines was kind of like it didn't really make sense. They were kind of unwanted unwelcome, unwelcome guests. So the reason David goes to the king is so that he can take his men have a place of land. This is kind of a normal thing that kings do. They give out land. Um, to have a piece of the land that he can go and serve the king from there. But that's not the part that that makes sense to me, right? We, it makes sense for them to go. What doesn't make sense to me is this right here: If I have now found grace in thine eyes, David has moved from seeking the approval of God to seeking the approval of, of this man. Now, is it a justified seeking of his approval to us? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, he's in their land. He he is the king of the ruler. It kind of makes sense. But that's where we're wrong. Because anytime we are seeking the approval, anytime we are placing some other uh, person's confidence, some other person's security above that of God's, we are making a mistake. And David's doubt has questioned, has caused him to question the preeminence of God. The preeminence of God. And I'm going to move quick. Where? do you place your confidence in your moments of doubt? Where do you place your confidence? When everything is lost, when all else is gone, when nothing's making sense. I've had a few of these nights in my life, when I'm, you ever have, I'm, this may be, I haven't really talked to anyone about this, so this may be one of those things that's only me, where I'm laying in bed, where there, something's going wrong, something that I relied on, maybe it was your job, maybe it was your family, maybe it was whatever, and you're like looking for something to put you to sleep looking for like a security something, right? So something's going on. I, I, I went through a job transition um, in April of this year. And I remember laying in bed. I had a baby on the way. I knew I was gonna be taken care of. I knew you guys weren't gonna let me starve or anything. But I was, uh, it wasn't like I was like on the street. A few more weeks, no. <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, but I remember laying in bed just being like, man, I just lost my health insurance. Man, this baby's coming. Man, me and Sammy are like, we gotta start budgeting and stuff. Like, I mean, I was just like thinking about it. and I was like, okay, well, at least I have Sammy, you know, okay. Hopefully Sammy's not gonna leave me if I'm like poor. No, I was like, I, I was just kind of looking for reasons to like make me feel good. You know what I'm saying? I was so insecure, I was so lost, I was so worried. I was looking for something to give me security, something to give me confidence. So God, okay, at least I have Sammy. Okay, I know Pastor Jake's gonna take care of us. Okay, we have the church, we have, okay, we're good. And I found myself naming a lot of things before I named God. Does that make sense? I was naming my job. I was naming my wife. I was naming my parents. I was naming Pastor Jake. I was naming Fall. I was naming the youth group. Whatever. I, at least I have them. At least that will get me through. And what I found was God was like seven, eight, nine on my list. What are we doing? Why are we allowing the things that are not eternal to bring us confidence in this world? If, if you get in those situations... If you get in that time of, of issues, how many blanks go through your head before you get to Jesus? How many, how, many, how many topics, how many things do you need to lose before you rely on Jesus? Most of us, I feel like, probably rely on our spouse ahead of Jesus. We're supposed to love our spouse, of course, and we, we should. I, I hope we all do. But are we relying on our spouse to bring us security are we relying on our spouse's job maybe our job to bring us security relying on money are we are we relying on our 401k when everything's when we see the news when we see everything tearing apart when we see man the world when we see oh our kids are gonna have to grow up in this oh, our grandkids are gonna have to grow up in this well at least I have blank at least we'll be handled here at least I have this person where's God in all of this our doubt our fear has pushed us to something other than God Doubt and fear is natural. Doubt and fear is going to happen. It, worry, I mean, worry is a sin. If you, if, in the Bible, we should not, God tells us multiple times, do not worry, do not fear. Yet we find ourselves in these positions so often, and yet we're allowing this fear, maybe God given, maybe God sent, to not push us to God like it was intended, but to push us to things that we can control. But the truth of the matter is, we control very, very little in regards to God. And the truth, the painful truth is, we're going to have to learn that lesson. And that's where It hurts that's where it hurts. Find confidence not in the things that we control. Find confidence in the things of God. Be secure in God's eyes. David went to, went to this king. Obviously, he, he is not forsaken Israel. He goes to this king. He says, I want to find sight. Find, what, is he, what does he say? I want to find grace in thine eyes. Only grace in God's eyes. Only grace in God's eyes. Lastly, and, and we move First, he doubts the plan. Then he doubts the preeminence. Thirdly, he doubts the promises of God in his life. 1 Samuel 27, 1. We've read it a hundred times. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. He says, what's that first part? I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. So, Saul's king, yes? Saul's king. David is the next king. How do we know that David is the next king? Because God told him he was the next king, right? So in order for David to be king, what must happen? Saul must die. Saul must die. So for David to say, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. It's not only a fear of the, of the, the man Saul. It's not only a fear of death. It is a doubt in the promise of God that he would be king. Because in order for him to be king, Saul must die. But here David is saying, I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. So he's saying, God lied. Right? Is that, I'm not reaching, I don't think. I, don't, I thought about it a lot. I don't think I'm reaching. He's saying, in order for me to be king, Saul must die. But Saul's going to kill me, so I'm not going to be king. So when Samuel anointed me, when God picked me, when God chose me, he was wrong. He's doubting the promise of God. God has promised David to be king. He's the promised king. Yet God, yet David doubts. Yet David doubts. Unfortunately, when we doubt the promises of God is where most of our issues come from. The, the Bible is full of these promises. The Bible is full of these these. these these words of God that should give us security, that should give us hope, that should give us vigor, that should give us energy. We were talking in my in my uh, discipleship class this morning about how the reasons we come to church and the, just the big the, one of the big reasons for me and for many of us is just the, the encouragement that church brings, the encouragement of words, the encouragement of God's word, and yet we can find so many of these things inside the Bible, inside the promises of God. Yet so many of us, without realizing it, doubt those promises. No, we would never say we do not believe God. We never say we don't believe the Bible. But the lives we live show that we are doubting the promises of God. The promises of God. Uh, it, it, here's the issue. What's the term, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I heard this term. Maybe you haven't. Doubt will creep up on you. Doubt will creep up on you. I always heard of doubt as like a little creep. He would like creep up on you. Doubt is not a creep. Doubt is a weapon. Doubt is a weapon that the flesh uses often whether it's like I said put it pushing us to complacency whether it's pushing us to complete unbelief whatever doubt is pushing us somewhere and many of us don't even realize that we are simply doubting the promises of God if I were to come to your house and pull out a spoon and say like I'm gonna get you you'd probably like laugh or like hit me if I were to pull out a gun you'd probably be a little scared right because gun is a weapon we need to view doubt not as a spoon as a gun because doubt is eating us alive, whether we realize it or not. Throughout our churches, throughout our youth, throughout our kids, doubt is eating us alive. So we must fight doubt, the weapon that doubt is, with a weapon of our own. John Piper talks about it like this. He uses Romans eight thirteen. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. He says, if ye, through the Spirit, do kill the deeds of the body, kill the flesh ye shall live. Ephesians 6, 17 says this, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. In order for us to kill the flesh, we must use the weapon that God has promised us. The weapon that God has promised us is the word of God. So if we're going to defeat doubt, if we're going to rise against unbelief, we must use the weapon that God has given us. And that weapon is the Bible. And inside that Bible are thousands of promises of God that we should know and be able to recite and be able to lean on when doubt arises. Because I promise you doubt will come, but are you equipped to handle it many are not when many when doubt comes many when doubt eats at them many when they're especially I see it in teenagers so often when those first doubts come their parents aren't equipped to handle it when they ask their parents questions they have no idea how to answer it when 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 they when they begin to distance themselves their parents have no idea how to address it because they're not armed with the promises of God Every question a teenager has, every question an adult has, every question anyone has could be answered from the Word of God, but we don't know the promises of God in order to fight the weapon of evil, the the, the doubt. In order to fight doubt, you must be equipped with your own weapon, and that weapon is the Word of God, the promises of God. So do you know the promises of God? I'm done. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with thee be not dismayed for I am thy God I will strengthen thee yea I will help thee yea I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness Philippians 4.19 but my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in his glory by Christ Jesus the promises of God are not the promises of man I know right now if someone tells you they promised they're probably gonna uh, you don't know I, I don't know if you can rely on that but I promise you you can rely on the promises of God they're not the promises of man don't 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 confuse don't hurt yourself by comparing God to man in your own mind I know you won't ever say that but we'll do it Will will we'll doubt the promises of God as if they were promised by me. I'll, I'll mess up. I'll lie. I'll cheat. I'll do whatever. The promises of God, eternal. Yes. Eternal. You do not need anything new. I heard this this week. You just need to remember what you already know. There's not a promise in here that you're going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't know God promised that. There's going to be a lot that you need Tomorrow. Do you know him? Are you equipped? Do you have your weapon? The devil has his. The flesh has his. And the weapon of doubt is eating us alive. Are we equipped with ours? Are we equipped with ours? The story of David, obviously we know the end, right? We know there's restoration from this place. But for the next several chapters, he lives in this place, this, I call it this limbo, this place of doubt in in ziklag of gath. Remove yourself from that place. Arm yourself with the promises of God. Get away from unbelief. Have faith in God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this um, study for myself, Lord. Thank you for this this chapter of God's word, Lord. Thank you for a God that having faith in doesn't scare me. Um, I know I have a daughter. I know it's it's easy for for me to look at her and be like, man, I hope I am always a person that she can have faith in. Truth of the matter is, I probably won't be, but you, God, are a father that I always can have faith in. You're a a, a father that I always will have faith in a place to put my worried head. And I need that so often. Lord, help us to fight this weapon of unbelief with the weapon that you have given us. And your sword is a lot bigger and better than doubts. Preacher. Let's stand to our feet, heads bowed, eyes closed. The altar's open if you need a place to pray tonight.